Hello, all my lovely friends. Um, I still haven't mastered the intro side of this thing, but we'll get it someday. Um, I just want to say sorry I've been a little MIA lately, um, but I was just at Passion, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today, is I'm just going to do a recap of all the talks from Passion, but I just want to say I hope everyone had a good holiday with family and friends, and are just settling back into the routine of things, back at school or wherever you are, um, and enjoying the start of the new year. A fresh start is always nice to have. Um, so yeah, anyway, so for those of you that don't know, Passion, oh, dropped my phone there. <laughs> Passion is a yearly gathering for um, people ages 18 to 25, so mainly college students, um, and it's in Atlanta, Georgia, and you just go, and it's three days, you worship, people, like, give sermons and talk, and it is the coolest thing ever. Like, I really, really enjoyed the experience. Um, I thought it was really cool to be gathered in a room with 55,000 people my age who believe the same thing as I do and want the same thing for our generation. Like, how incredible is that? Like, I don't know. I thought it was really cool, because it's so easy to feel so isolated in what you believe and be like, why am I the only one that's living this sort of Christian lifestyle thing? But when you're in a room with 55,000 people, it's like there are people all over the nation, all over the globe that believe the same thing as you and also want to reach the ends of the earth with the love of Jesus the same way that we do. So it was really encouraging, I feel like, and just affirming to know that there are people um, in my generation who want to see big things. So... Anyway, that's passion. I recommend that everybody goes. Honestly, if you feel like you want to, should have questions, text me, DM me, whatever, because I would love to talk about it. It was literally the best experience ever. So next year, passion 2025, we all go in. Anyway, so (laughs) I just want to recap like their little talks. I took notes and I'm going to read them. (laughs) So um, night one was kicked off by Sadie Robertson. Sadie, Sadie Robertson Huff, I guess is her new last name. Um, and she uh, was answering the question, how do you know God is real? And she said that somebody like asked her that before. How do you know God is real? And she said practical answers only, which, cause it's so easy to like give all these big confusing answers. But the answer to how do you know God is real is because the Bible. And she said the definition of no is to be made aware of information or to develop a relationship. And so then she went on to explain um, how King Josiah was like the eight-year-old boy in Second Kings, and then he was made king. And his, the temple was in disarray at this time and so far off from what God wanted for his people. And Josiah read the book of the law and invited everyone to the nations and read it to them. And he made the promise to God that they would follow the word. And so he like understood the gravity and like the importance of the Bible and its law and how it needs to be followed. And so Sadie asked, has the gravity and value of the word been lost on us? Just the discovery of the word changed everything for these people. Like that is so cool. They literally just discovered the word and it completely reformed their idea of life and how they were to live. Um, so some Bible stats, I guess, is what I wrote down. Um, in the Bible, there are 63,779 cross-references of where it's like, this will happen, this will happen, this, if this happens, this will happen, like, things like that. 63,779 cross-references. That is so cool. I uploaded a picture of it to 
either this Instagram or my personal Instagram. I actually don't remember. But that is the coolest thing. It lets you really understand like the intentionality behind God's design and that nothing he does is on accident and he does it all with purpose and he knows what he's doing with your life. Like he knows what he's doing. Um, also the Bible was written by 40 different people. So that's cool. Anyway. And then she just kind of like summarized the Bible basically in like 15 minutes. So I'll just read over what I wrote. Um, in Genesis, because we are in a relationship with God, he gives us choices. He wants us to be able to choose him. Um, then six pages into Genesis, like everything was great. Things were going good. Six pages into Genesis, the fall of man. Then there's the flood. God promises that never again will he punish us by flood waters. And then at the very end of Genesis, it says, what you meant to harm me, God has meant for good. So word up like that'll preach that's like so comforting like what you meant to harm me god has meant for good so that's encouraging and that's right at the beginning of the bible so it's like man i should probably keep reading this but there's gonna be some good things in here um anyway oh the story of the gospel is jesus came down died on the cross rose from the grave went back to heaven and he's coming back again like that's the gospel in a nutshell um if something is God, you will not be able to stop the movement. Um, then she said, because my life is worth nothing to me if I am not sharing the good news and wonderful grace of God, which is so true. The evidence of his faithfulness becomes real in hardships. Um, oh, and then she said, like, sometimes people will be like, convince me that God is real. And her, like, counter argument to that is convince me otherwise. Like, like if you want me to convince you God's real, convince me that he's not seriously, because how could you, like, how could you prove that God's not real? You, I mean, you can, he is, and he's good and he's sovereign. So, um, oh, our note for this generation, sorry guys, this is all over the place. I'm literally just reading my notes and guess what? (laughs) My notes all over the place. Um, this generation, we will be faithful to God. The story will not be lost between us. We will follow God, heart and soul. The word of God will not be lost on our watch. Like, we don't want to get to the point where it's like the temple and the word of God was so lost from them and they were so far off from what he wanted from them. Like, we want to steward the word and live the word and be the word and breathe the word and honor him through that and live according to his law and, like, spread the word, too, and, like, let other people know of its goodness. So, that's that. Then, um, I don't remember who talked about this one, actually. Sorry, guys, but now we're in Mark 4. <laughs> oh, I wrote Jesus is hashtag super popular, so that's cool. Oh, <laughs> let me keep reading. Okay, sorry. Jesus is hashtag super popular, but <laughs> he wants an intimate relationship with me. He wants me to know him personally just as he knows me personally. Word up. Um, there's shaping power in the word. What do I know about Jesus? I know his character, his works, his life, his miracles, and his preaching. But if I ask myself, do I actually know Jesus? Like, intimately. Like, he's literally put himself out there for me to get to know him and be his friend. Do I actually know him? Um, If you have ears, you should hear. That's what the Bible says. If you have ears, you should hear. Well, obviously. But it means, like, open up your ears, listen. So, true. Um, Forgiveness is not only the removing of sin, but it is also the reconciling of relationship. So whenever Jesus forgave us or God forgave us, it's, he, he removed the sin and then he also reconciled the brokenness of our relationship with him. How kind. Um, okay. 
this says, oh, okay. The difference between knowing God and not knowing God is your reaction to confusion. So whenever you're confused about something, do you move towards him and inherit the secrets of the kingdom or do you move away from him? Because confusion is like a distraction from the devil, I think. And so whenever you are confused, does it bring you closer to God or further from God? So in your confusion about the gospel or Christ or anything, we're supposed to move towards him in your confusion to inherit the secrets of the kingdom. Um, and have a heart of hunger and sincerity of search. True. That's just like, uh, how cool to literally hunger for the word of God and to be sincere in your search and seek him and his kingdom daily. Do you want the kingdom or do you just want the benefits of the kingdom? That hit me because there's so many times where I'm like, okay, God, please bless me, forgive me, do this for me. But it's like living for the kingdom is really hard. Like you have to lay down yourself and your own desires and your own wants and submit to him. And so do you just want the benefits or do you actually want to live for the kingdom? Do you want the entirety of the kingdom or just what it has to offer? So to be what? <laughs> Sorry to just kind of think about that. I had to sit and think on that one for a while because I was like, wow, like, I don't know if I've been living for that in a way that shows that I want the entire kingdom, not just what it has to offer me. So we should have a heart of humble and honest search of him. So true. He has made life just hard enough to show you the posture of your heart. I think that's true because you can really go either way when things are confusing or hard. And so he makes it just hard enough to reveal what you want more, him or the things of the world. Um, so, yep, this says, sow the word, tend to it. Um, soil, oh, it's talking about like, Whenever you plant something in the good soil, how it grows. So the ones that hear the word and accept the word, they talk to God. There's joy in you. You give it to others. You have self-control. You have a changed life. And this starts by reading the Bible. That's what plants the seed. And then you have to water the seed to see the fruit of its labor and to see it grow. Um, you have to have the heart before you have the harvest. And then I wrote, that'll preach. <laughs> so true. You have to have the heart before you have the harvest. So you have to want it. You can't just have the benefits. You have to want it and work for it. Like things don't just come to you. You have to work for them. You have to work for the heart of the kingdom and work for the things of the kingdom and get to know the kingdom. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There are supernatural categories of what God can do in your life when you put your trust in him. True. Like God can do anything. But I think so often what happens is we don't actually believe that. And so we don't believe that he can do anything. So we don't get to receive that benefit because we have no faith and trust that it actually will happen. Watch what he does with a sincere, sincere and honest heart. True. Okay. Life transforming power in the word. There's so true. Have y'all have y'all actually like sat down and like been reading the Bible and be like, oh my gosh, like this is changing my life as I read it and I can feel it and I know it. Like it is life transforming. And that is why we should read it. He's not asking you to do something that he himself did not do. True. Like Jesus came to earth and he lived all of this out. So he's not excuse me, sorry, that was not good, um, he's not asking you to do something that he never did, he did it too, he came here, he lived in earth, he lived through the hard times, so that's kind of comforting too, it's like, kind of like <laughs> in middle school athletics when your coach would tell you to do something and be like, 
why do I have to do this? She couldn't even do it. She had to. But it's like Jesus actually did do it. He's asking you to do the same things that he did. So cool. Now moving on to day two. This was JP, the pastor of Harris Creek in Waco and the host of the Becoming Something podcast that I am obsessed with. Sorry, I feel like I'm screaming. I was fangirling so hard because I love JP. His podcast has literally been so life changing for me lately. And so when he got up there, I was so excited. So he started with John 10, 9 that says, I am the gate. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. So his question is, is Jesus the only way? Um, John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus has prepared a place for us as the groom has prepared a home for his bride. Because um, back in the Bible times, whenever they were like getting married, the husband would like go away from his wife and like prepare a home for them and then they would get married and he would bring her to the home that was already prepared for her so if he prepares a place for us then he surely will come back for us like we're not forgotten about he he's gonna come back like the groom comes back to gather the bride and bring her to her new home that's what jesus does for us the church like we are the bride of christ and so he's preparing the place for us right now as we speak and he's gonna come back for us so that's encouraging. Um, Christianity is exclusive, but it is the most inclusive of all world religions. Jesus died because he wanted to be able to see everyone in eternity. Guys, this point is so big. This like, I haven't stopped thinking about it since he said it. If something isn't true, it isn't loving. Like so often we, uh, we won't tell people the truth because we want to conform to their ideas of what is right or what they believe, even when we know it's wrong. And so we'll just kind of let them believe what they want and nod our heads along, even if we know it's wrong. That's not loving. You think you're protecting them and being kind, but what's kind is telling the truth and the truth is Jesus Christ. Like it's not kind to just sit there and let them believe whatever they want whenever you know it to be wrong. So if it's not true, it's not loving. The most loving thing you can do for somebody is tell them the truth. Jesus is the only, underlined, way to heaven. Something can be true even if no one practices it, even if it doesn't feel right. In quotation marks, feel right is. Because there is only one way that is true, no matter what you feel. Like feelings are fleeting and they can't be relied on or trusted. And no matter what you feel, Jesus is still the truth. Jesus is still the way. So you can feel like he's not, okay, sick. He still is. It doesn't change that. So, so many of us are not on a truth journey. We are on a happiness journey doing whatever makes us happy. The truth is still true. Yep. Believing a lie will cost you. Also true. You have to pay the price of that. Like spending your time believing a lie is going to hurt you. It's going to leave scars. Um, truth. We were created by Jesus for Jesus. If you pull yourself out of what you were intended to exist in, you cannot thrive or even survive. You were intended to live in right relationship with Jesus. Whenever you remove yourself from that, you are like literally dead. You can't <laughs> like, that's not how you were called to live. So it's hard to live that way. It's hard to be joyful and peaceful because that's not how you were intended to live. Jesus offers freedom. He calls you to him to if it goes against the will of God to accept people's truth that we know are wrong. Oh, that doesn't say if. Sorry. If, let's try again. It goes against the will of God to accept people's truth that we know are wrong. Whenever we know what they're believing is wrong and we just kind of, you know, 
agree with it. Oh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, for sure. That's going against the will of God. That's not what God wants. God wants us to tell tell them about him and his love and his goodness and the truth and the right way to heaven, which is Jesus. Um, Oh, then JP talked about right now in the Middle East, there's a revival happening through people's dreams. And so we were all like, wow, sick. Like these people that have never heard of Jesus before are getting to learn about him through their dreams. That's really cool. And then what he said next was so convicting. He said, why does God have to use dreams when he has all of us? Because like, we're like, oh, awesome. Good work, God. But it's like, God shouldn't have to do that. We should be preaching to the nations and like spreading the love and the kindness and the word of God. He shouldn't have to use that. He has a whole entire like nations of believers that should be able to share his goodness and his kindness. So true. If there were other ways to get to heaven, Jesus would not have had to die, but he is the life. So the question, going back to the question of, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Yes, because if there were other ways, God would have done that. God wouldn't have had to make his only son die. You know, life is found in no other thing, no other person than Jesus Christ. So you can't find life in that relationship, that habit that you keep doing, that the drinking, the partying, like you're not going to find life. And that life is found in no other thing, no other person than Jesus Christ. And I think that was really big for me to hear too, the no other person part, because I think for so long I thought, well, I'll just be happy whenever I'm married and I have a family. Like that's putting my happiness in another person. That's not where life is found. Life is found in no other thing, no other person than Jesus Christ. Oh, this is so cool. I was actually on a walk just now with my friend and I was telling her that I really liked this point because JP was talking about how there's a woman at their church and she like never did the partying thing. She's never been drunk. She's always walked hand in hand with God, like lived really an upright life. And he was like, tell me one reason why you doing that makes you closer to Jesus than I am or like why your life is better than mine. And she said, because I had more fun and I have less scars. Like, whenever you walk with Jesus, there's, you're not making these mistakes that you then need to heal from and, like, repent from and work through. Like, it's more fun with less scars, with less hurt. Life with Jesus is more fun with less scars. Um, My next point that I wrote down says, To be so free with Jesus that you will share him with anyone and everyone, because you no longer are enslaved to what people think of you. That's true. There are a lot of times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to hold back from telling people about Jesus right now because I don't want them to think I'm being legalistic or um, like hating on them or saying what they're doing is wrong because I don't want to come across being mean. I want to protect their truth. Well, their truth might not be true. The truth is Jesus Christ. So to be so free with Jesus that you will share him with anyone and everyone because you are no longer enslaved to what people think of you. You are willing to share the truth at like no matter the cost. So, yep. Next point. This is in bold. We are at war. It is dire that people know the safety of Jesus. If we believe it, how do we not tell everyone? Like if you believe in the good news of the gospel, how are we not running across the nations telling everybody? Cause it is so good. Like we should want everybody to know the peace and the safety found in him and to like, we know the way to get to heaven. We know how to have eternal life. We should want everybody to know it the same way that we do. So Word up. So obsessed with JP. That was so good. And I really enjoyed hearing about that. Moving on. It's still day two. These are still my day two notes. This is Levi Lusco. Um, 
And he started talking about how January 1st, 161 years ago, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, um, turning a day of heartbreak into one of freedom, because that used to be the day that um, slaves would be sold into slavery. And so he revolutionized and like reformed the way that that day felt to them. And it became a day of heartbreak that was turned into a day of freedom. Now, skipping Romans 8. This present suffering does not compare to the joy and love of God that is to be revealed. We get the inheritance of the firstborn son. All that his is ours. If Jesus has it, we also have it. So that's really cool. Um, I just think this, the first point, this present suffering does not compare to the joy and love of God that is to be revealed. Like, this present suffering is nothing. It's kind of like, I don't know if y'all heard of this before, but like people talk about whenever they like, get married they're like every single heartbreak that led up to this point was so worth it because if I hadn't gone through all that I wouldn't have found my person and so it's the same way it's like this suffering right now is nothing compared to the love of God that will be revealed to us um and the love of God is revealed to us because we get the inheritance of Jesus because he died for us um suffering and glory are inseparable whenever there is suffering there will be glory Paul wrote Romans um from jail right? (laughs) I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's right. Paul wrote Romans. He knew all about pain and suffering and he was writing to people who are also familiar with it. Suffering and grief is a feeling of powerlessness, which is not great. Like you don't want to sit in it and it's like, there's nothing I can do right now, but take heart. There is. Um, then he went on to make the point that this too shall last. Like, you know how people always say this too shall pass, but he was saying this shall last because, and I mean, it is like suffering lasts and grief lasts and it's going to keep recurring in your lifetime. But in all caps, God's glory is insurmountable compared to present suffering. Like, yeah, there's going to be suffering, but (laughs) like God's glory is so much bigger than that. Um, Heaven is a return to Eden, which is, and Eden is the garden in the beginning of Genesis, which is earth without curse. So in heaven, you will return to your body without pain and sorrow. The wonders of heaven will transform your life. The one kiss that we receive from the Father will make all of the heartbreak insignificant. The one kiss that we receive from the Father will make all of the heartbreak insignificant. Like, doesn't that just make you want to go to heaven right now and, like, receive that from him? He's so kind to take all of that pain and sorrow away from us. Um, Next point is, holy is what God is. Glory is what God does. Um, Holy, holy, holy is repeated in triplicate in the Bible, which is, like, really important, I think, because it just shows the significance of how holy the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are. The weight of glory is heavy. The moment of affliction is light. What we, what, (laughs) okay, what are we to be overcome by the sorrows of this short life compared to eternity and glory, is what that means. So, I'll read that again, because I feel like that wasn't great. The weight of glory is heavy, The moment of affliction is light. And what this means is what are we to be overcome by the sorrows of the short life compared to eternity and glory? Um, Next, the thing that I wrote down is the verse that says the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the God shall last forever. Your identity comes from scripture. You are not 
what you have been through or what you are pulled to or what you were drawn to that is of this world because your identity is already found in scripture it's already established in the name of god the word of god is not just a book it is a representation of the person of jesus like reading the bible you're not just reading a book it's really cool it is a book but it also is literally the character and the person of jesus christ um, oh, if something hurts you and matters to him, I really like that because sometimes I'm like, okay, I feel so silly being so upset by this. It's not a big deal. Just literally get over it. You're fine. But the reality is, is if it hurts you, it matters to him and he will redeem it and heal it. But, um, the next question is, do you want to be made well? And I think that point is really important too, because so many times we over identify with our issues and our victimization and we just become so stuck in it because we're like, well, this is all that I am. No, it's not. Process your reality through scriptural truth and understand that your identity is already established in the name of God. Um, so true. Next point. Time is on my side. Every day that passes is a day closer to getting to know Jesus, and that's really beautiful. Um, what will last in life? Oh, because we're going back to the point, this too shall last. What will last? The wounds and worth of Jesus will last. Like, Jesus dying and giving himself for us will always last. The word of Jesus will never end. The worth of Jesus will never end. The wounds of Jesus will never end. God can use every bit of pain we face to work together for his good. Um, next point, your palm, your, okay, <laughs> sorry. Your name is written on the palm of his hand. By his wounds, you get healed. And um, honestly, like Jesus didn't have to keep the wounds in his hand, really. He, he didn't have to do that. He could have healed himself and been like, okay, no more holes in my hands, sick. But I think one of the reasons he left it is one, because he knew that, People wouldn't believe that it was him. He knows us and he knows our unbelief. And so he left it so he could prove and be like, no, it is me. Um, But also to just show us like, this is what I have done for you. This is what I've done for you, Savannah. Your name is written on the palm of my hand through my scars and through my pain and my affliction to save you. So that's really kind of him to like show us that and to keep that around so that we can be reminded of his kindness Um, next point, I will worship while I wait. Next point, (laughs) worship that hurts like hell will save like heaven. So even whenever it hurts to worship, you don't want to. It's hard. You're in the middle of it. Worshiping is the last thing you want to do. That's what's going to save you. It's going to save you the same way that the love of Jesus Christ saved you. Um, find the cross in the middle of the pain. That's where you will find peace. Our heartbreak day can be turned to a day of freedom, not only for us, but also for people that need to know Jesus. The more that we know Jesus, the more that we can share him with other people. And honestly, I think that we go through things so that one day we can share our story with someone else that's going through something similar and help them through it. So that's what that point speaks to. Moving on, Passion Day 2. This is Earl McClellan speaking. I loved Earl. He did such a wonderful job. He was really nice to listen to. So we're going to start with Isaiah 36. There's King Hezekiah. He's a good king trying to go the right direction. Okay, awesome. I actually didn't write anything else about that. Maybe we'll get to it in a little bit, but 
keep that in mind. King Hezekiah, good king, trying to go the right direction. A lie that the enemy is speaking to our generation is to make a bargain with our master. To not give all of yourself to God and hold back. Be like, you know what, God, I'm going to give you a little bit, but I'm going to hold on to the parts that I want to hold on to. So I'm going to bargain and wager my relationship with you. We often make bargains to become comfortable and do not sell ourselves out for the Lord. And then Earl went on to say that that like if the devil starts speaking that to you and the enemy starts feeding you that lie, we are to say no deal. There is no deal that is worth bargaining with our relationship with the Lord. Not we will not make peace with the one that is the enemy of my soul. Um, and a bargain that a lot of us, especially in our generation to make is, OK, I'm not going to be as bad as the other people so that I won't receive as much of the punishment of the sin. So like, okay, they're, we're all going to go drinking. They're all going to get super drunk. I'm going to get a little bit less drunk. So whenever we get punished for this sin, I won't get punished as bad as them. That's not how it works. The enemy doesn't play fair. And he like your punishment for sin is not contingent upon how heavy or light you send. So then moving on Matthew 4 1 that's when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights the devil says to him if you bow down and worship me I will give you all of this so the question that Earl was asking is what is your all of this what is it that that you would be willing to worship the devil to receive and so I was thinking about it or like what is it that you want more than you want your relationship with the Lord because that's what the devil's going to keep that's what you're, that's sorry guys this is not great that is the avenue that he is gonna try to attack you through it's like for me a big one is marriage I really want to get married I really want to have a husband I really want to have a family and so for me the devil constantly feeds me that lie of okay well if you stop following Jesus then I'm gonna give you the husband that you desire if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. What is your all of this? What is it that you want that much? And so whenever the devil says this to Jesus, he was given Jesus a shortcut to what he was already going to receive. They were looking out like over the kingdom, whatever, and like over the land. And Satan's like, all right, I'm going to give you all of this if you worship me. Jesus was already going to receive that no matter what. Satan was just offering him a shortcut so he could have it sooner. Satan offered for Jesus to be king. Jesus was already destined to be king. When you know your worth and value as a child of the king, you stop accepting plastic rings because you know that the Lord has so much better for you. You stop accepting anything that is less than what you know that he has intended and designed for you. But first, you have to know your worth and value as a child of the king. So, we say no deal to the devil. We're not taking shortcuts for things that are less than what the Lord has intended for us. Um, because I have already made a deal that was initiated by the Savior when he died for me while I was still a, senior, a sinner. So we already have a deal. So we can say no deal to the shortcuts that Satan is offering and the bargain that he's offering. Because you already have a deal. It was initiated by Jesus Christ when he died for you. No deal to the darkness. Standing firm and strong in who Jesus created me to be and called me to be. Word up. Okay, moving on. This is session five by Louis Giglio. I'm pretty sure he's the one that said this. 
Oh gosh, I really hope I'm not messing this up. I'm pretty sure he's the one who gave this talk. Starting off with the definition of a presupposition, that is a framework by which you choose to see and live your life. The gospel speaks to our presuppositions. Without Christ, we are separated from holy God and it is impossible to get to him. Sin doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a spiritually dead person. A dead person can't do anything, no matter how hard you try. And at this point, whenever you are living in sin, you are not just spiritually dead, but you are an object of God's wrath because of your transgressions and sin. By our nature, by our sin. Dead in transgressions, but, in all caps, by the mercy of God, we have been saved by grace. His response to our sin was kindness. He bridged the gap. He gave us life by giving his. I don't have any rights because I was dead until he gave me life. Like I should not be alive in Christ right now. And I am because Jesus gave himself up for me. I don't know what's best for me because living like that makes me dead in sin. But God knows what is best and brings life. Second Corinthians 5.21, we are convinced that one died for all. You no longer live for yourself, but for the one who died for you. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ died and the old me died along with him. The life I now live in the body, I live in faith. I will never set aside the grace of God because that is how I went from death to life. Consider the magnitude of the cross and the shadow of the cross. So this is a big point. The cross dwarfs powerless religion and it demands an empty claims. The cross dwarfs powerless religion and its demands and empty claims. Nothing you can do will ever be enough to get you to holy, holy, holy. Jesus already did and finished the work for us and saved us. You work to no avail. You are already saved. So the more you work and strive for it, it's not getting you anywhere. You are already saved. And so the cross dwarfs the kind of religion that says that you have to work to be saved. Next, the cross also dwarfs the choking grip of our guilt and shame. I really liked the like imagery of that because guilt and shame is choking. It literally sucks the life out of you. And the cross dwarfs that. It's so much bigger than that. There is now no shame in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has already carried your shame on his back. There is no shame in Jesus and the cross trumps that the cross also dwarfs anxiety about your future plans guess who wrote a bunch of exclamation points next to that one that's right me because i have a lot of anxiety about my future plans and guess what the cross is bigger than it your heavenly father does not want you to feel any pressure about your life so my role in my life is to be obedient today to what god is leading me to today i am to live in the present in the now um because the cross is bigger than what I have planned for my future. Advent is about trusting and waiting on the Lord and believing that God will come through on his promise. What? That's so good. I'm going to read that again. Advent is about trusting and waiting on the Lord and believing that he, God will come through on his promise. The cross is bigger than your worries about what your future will look like. So that's cool. Um, some more Bible stats. It's the same Okay, more Bible stats that I wrote down. 40 authors, over 1,500 years, multiple continents, and still there's so much continuity and unity. How cool that the Bible can be written by so many people across such a span of time, across such a geographical location, 
and still exemplify continuity and unity. It's because God was working in that. God has a plan, but he won't give it to you. What? Oh, true. (laughs) Sorry, I was like, what do you mean God's not going to give me the plan? No, true. God doesn't tell you his plan for your, your life. And that's something big that I've been thinking about lately because I'm like, oh, I would just be so much better if I knew when this was going to happen, when this is going to play out, whenever this is going to follow through. Like, I'd just be so much better if I knew. No, I wouldn't. I would be even more anxious than I already am because then I would be constantly awaiting for it to happen instead of getting to live in the moment. And I think God knew that we wouldn't be able to hand the pre- handle the pressure of knowing what's to come. And that's why he doesn't reveal it to us. He just gives it to us whenever we're ready for it. So God has a plan. He won't give it to you, but he is offering his hand. What? I get to hold on to the hand of God and not have to worry about my future? Wow, that sounds like a really great way to live. <laughs> Why do I not? Right? So God, does a, God has a plan. He does not going to tell you. He knows you can't handle knowing about it, but he's giving you his hand so you can walk with him. Even the worst can be used by God to bring his best. That was in all caps. So obviously I felt very strongly about that. Let the pressure fall at the foot of the cross. Surrender it to the feet of Jesus. Trust in today. You have time. Wow, I feel like I could talk about that forever and ever. Um, My word for the year actually is surrender, and I'll probably make a podcast about that soon. But this really, guys, just spoke to me so much. To let the pressure fall at the foot of the cross. Surrender it to the feet of Jesus. Lay it down. Give it to him. And just get to trust in today because you have time. Yeah. What else does the cross dwarf? The cross dwarfs me and mine. From this point forward, it is not my life. Stop asking what I want for my life, but what does God want? Not I, but Christ. So there's sometimes I'm like, well, in my future, I want to be this and I want to do this and I want to have this. Okay, cool. That doesn't matter. What does God want? What does God want for me? What does What's his desire for my life? Because I want what he wants. So me and mine becomes transformed to his by the power of the cross. Next point, the cross dwarfs your love affair with earth and earth's love affair with you. Canceled by the cross, Jesus and reborn into a brand new identity. That's so good. The cross dwarfs your love affair with earth and earth's love affair with you. So you stop wanting the things of the world and you stop chasing after it and pining for it because the cross is bigger than that. And now you want the things of Jesus. I will never boast except for the cross of Jesus. So good. So true. All right. Now we're on to session six. This was Christine Kane, and I really liked her too. Honestly, guys, I really liked them all. Everybody was so wonderful and so wise and had so much truth and to offer. So, but yeah, I'll start talking about hers. She first point that I wrote down, just following God, not trying to lead him. We have no control over what God does, so we follow him. We don't lead him. We will not be going back to life as normal. It is a new day. We are not a product of time, but we are a product of eternity. We were plucked from eternity and placed in time. That was cool. I had never really heard of it spoken like that before, but like we're not a product of the way the time goes and we would just happen to fall into this space and time. No, we already existed in eternity and God picked us up out of eternity and placed us in time. We were born for this moment. Isaiah 43, 17 says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past See, I am doing a new thing. There's not a lot of social currency for being a believer in exile, but he makes a way. 
he has come through before. You were in bondage and slavery, but God made a way and walked you through it. That's big, underlined through it. Because so many times we want God to deliver us from it. And that's not the way that he works. He's not just going to take you away from it, but he will walk with you hand in hand as you go through it. And whenever you go through the fire, you're made stronger because of it. We want to be delivered from things, but God takes us through. He walks with us. Oh, I had that written down. That's funny. Okay. The most precious promise in the Bible is the one that God will never leave us or forsake us. Like what? That really is. God tells us he's never going to leave us. So... He's always going to walk with you and be with you. That's so comforting to know. God is with you through it. There's not a demon in hell or a person on earth that can thwart the purpose and plan that God has over your life. That's comforting too. There's nothing that will mess up what God has planned for you because he's with you through it. What Jesus did for you is bigger than what anyone has done to you. What Jesus did for you is bigger than what anyone has done to you. Write that down. Remind yourself of that. Next point, don't give up on God just because you aren't through it yet. The thing that you are going through right now, you're going to be able to help someone else through. True, don't give up on God just because you're not through it yet. That's so true. There's so many times where it's like, okay, like I'm not through it. I'm sick of waiting on God. This has been enough. He's clearly not going to deliver and come through. I'm giving up. No, he's walking you through it. Like you're going to get there because you're walking with him. Don't give up on him. Um, so this verse that we just read um, from Isaiah, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing. Do not remember, pay no attention to things of old. It's interesting that they said this in Isaiah because the Jewish culture is built upon remembering the deliverance of God. And so many times they're called to remember in the Bible, but now it's saying don't remember and pay no attention. What he did then was specific to the exact situation and time in history. And so he's saying, don't look at how I did it then. We're in a new situation. This is a new time in history. This is different. So I'm going to work through it differently this time because I'm going to work through it specific to this situation. A different time, different place, different people, same God. Remember that he did miracles. Do not box him in on how he will deliver. So we can't be like, well, God, you delivered this way before. So why aren't you doing it the same again? He can deliver any way he wants. So he is the God of miracles and he did do them and he will do them again. But pay no attention to how he did them, just that he did. Because whenever we pay attention to how he did them, we're like, okay, well, God, you're coming through wrong. No, nothing he does is wrong. So we study the word to be inspired and encouraged by what he did, but he will deliver differently every time. Stop, see, and perceive. God is still moving in 2024 in the midst of the chaos, but sometimes we are too distracted to see what he was doing. Stop, relax, be still, be where your feet are. Look to the Lord, see what he is doing. It is a new day. He will do a new thing. It is nameless and faceless and destined for all of us. The rivers are starting to flow again out of you. God doesn't do next. God's not, okay, what am I going to do next? He does new. He made us brand new. We have an entire new identity in him. Allow God to do a brand new thing in the same old place. That was cool because like we were all in this new place and we're like, now we have to go back to school and to our families and our homes and our friends and it's just going to go back to the same. No, let God do a new work in the same place. Revival is contingent upon how many of us are willing to pay the price. It is painful to die. 
It's painful to lay down your life. It is painful to stop living for the world. It is painful to give up your own desires. But revival is contingent upon how many of us are willing to pay that price and to receive the new life found in Christ. The new has come and the old is washed away. And that is whenever we are willing to give up our own. Me and mine is done now. And now it is him through us. So, sorry, those were literally just like points that I made or wrote down. Things that everybody said at Passion that I liked. Um, all of the speakers were really great. It was a, Guys, it really was such a wonderful experience. And I would recommend for anybody that's thinking about it to go, please ask me about it. I could talk about it till the cows come home. It really is so wonderful. Um, but so those are some points I really wanted. I just want that to be encouraging as we head into the new year and head back to the same places that we've been, that the word of God is forever. We are made new in Christ. There is now no condemnation in Christ. There is no shame in Christ. The cross is bigger than your anxieties about the future. Like there's just so many good points in that. Um, so I hope that that, that some part of that speaks to y'all. Um, and don't even worry. I'll be back on the path. <laughs> Sorry. I'll be back on the pod soon talking about something else. So thank y'all for listening and I love you all so dearly.